Good morning, OBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to The Story Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, if you like any part of this show, please be sure to like us and follow us and share with all your friends. It really does help us out and help us grow as a podcast. With that said, today I have on a super awesome guest, Miss Karen Blanchard. Miss Karen Blanchard, Ms. Karen Blanchard, sorry, hey. earned a Master of Music degree in voice performance and a Master of Music degree in choral conducting from Temple University. She has sung with various professional choir groups, ensembles throughout the Philadelphia area, such as Opera Philadelphia, Philadelphia Singers, The Bridge Ensemble, The Spoleto Music Festival Chorus, and Choral Art Society of Philadelphia. Karen currently sings with the Philadelphia's premier contemporary music ensemble, The Crossing. Locally, she received high praise for her notable performance as solo soprano, soprano soloist in Barrios folk songs with the Lancaster Symphony. Karen serves full-time as the Director of Worship Arts at Community EC in Sinking Spring. She also supports and coaches local worship teams by providing vocal training workshops for churches throughout the Lancaster and Burke Counties. Karen co-leads the Burke County Worship Collective, a group that meets once a month to support and encourage each other, as well as leading worship for various multi-church worship events. Karen lives in Brownstown with her orchestral percussionist husband, Tom. How are you doing today, Karen? I'm good. So tell me, where did all your love of music start? Uh, love of music started in high school with a very influential uh, choral teacher. I think that's where lots of people's love of music starts. Some sort of wonderful music experience uh, as you're going through school. Um, for the longest time, I was a sports person. I was a field hockey player. I had a field hockey coach in high school who pulled me aside and wanted to train me off-season and um, pushed me toward more professional field hockey playing. Until at the end of my 10th grade year, um, I had pain in my knee and I ended up having a tumor on my tibia. So they ended up removing the tumor from my tibia, which had eaten away a good portion of my bone and replacing bone from my hip into my tibia, which put me out of field hockey playing for the next year and a half, which was pretty devastating and would have been very crucial if I were to get, uh, be moving on. So while I couldn't play, um, I started focusing on music, and I had just an amazing, godly um, choral director, Ruth Sauter, uh, up in uh, Bucks County. I went to Central Bucks East, and um, she just nurtured my musical love started entering me into competitions, and um, yeah, so that's where it began. So what was it like to enter competitions as a young young artist? Uh, it, w- it was good and scary, and it's all, all the things that high school students love. You know, you always want to, um, to show you that you're special in some way, and I felt like, um, you know, these were all the the district chorus, the county chorus, the state chorus, and um, so I was able to get to, to state by my senior year, and um, yeah, it was very, I think it was God's way of saying you're going in the right direction, so it was affirming, yeah. So at that point, did you know that you wanted to do singing or something with music forever, or? I Yeah, I, I ended up doing a, a local competition at Jenkintown Music School right outside of Philadelphia, and um, as a result I, of winning that competition, I was able to have a full year of free lessons with a professional singer. Her name was Louise Parker. She was a contralto who had sung um, with the Met and uh, just an inspiration to me. So after that year, um, she really pushed me on to go into music. So. so how did you decide what college you wanted to go to for music? How does one do that? Yeah. Um, my older brother went to Messiah College, and I thought I wanted to go to a, a Christian college, and um, so I ended up starting at Messiah College. Um, I loved the community. I loved the Bible classes. I loved everything about it except my voice teacher at the time, unfortunately, and um, I felt like I had taken a few steps back mm. um, from where I was, and I felt it was important for me to continue um, 
at a level of study that would challenge and move me forward. So what I ended up doing was after my first semester transferring to Temple University where Louise Parker, my teacher, um, was also a professor. And that's how I got to Temple University. So, What were some of the most important parts of your college career, do you think? Most important parts of my college career? Um, I think the things that formed my musicianship were things like singing under Alan Harler in the concert choir, studying under Alan Harler in the um, conducting program. I would say out of my entire experience at Temple, Alan Harler was probably the most influential um, and probably what led me to where I am now singing with The Crossing because he thought very similarly about uh, musical phrasing and color and um, uh, diversity in, in quality of singing in order to meet the needs of the music. Um, where I feel like music uh, teachers, voice teachers, on the other hand, are more about large singing, big singing, how to get the most volume out of your voice, especially in the classical field. You know, they're always pushing you toward uh, opera mm -hmm. um, or large oratorio. And to do that, and to do that well, you have to have a large voice. And um, I think one of the biggest things I learned about singing in that time was to find my voice and to not make it into something that it's not, um, and to find my place within the music realm with what God had given me. So mm. that was probably my biggest lesson. I'm sure if you force yourself to sing loud, they could harm your voice. It could. It could. Um, I had a teacher who, after Louise Parker, um, she died after my second year there, and I ended up studying with a different teacher. And he did a really nice job of opening up my upper range and um, helping me to find more freedom in my singing. And I feel like that's, that's what a teacher should be doing, you know? Absolutely. Um, they should be finding the best of your voice. They should be opening it up to its, its maximum. Um, and not really pushing you in a direction that your voice can't go, you know. How do you, how does one realize where the potential of a voice? <laughs> um, boy, for me, it was a lot of rejection. <laughs> I hate to say that. But, um, you know, I had a teacher who was telling me that I could do things, and I was doing the um, audition, you know, going up into New York and doing the, the, um, opera apprentice program auditions and um, auditioning for various oratorio work and auditioning for various orchestras and oratorio stuff with them and um, not having a lot of success and realizing that that's probably not what my voice is suited for and having to like stop and go, okay, where, what are you telling me about this guy? Like, is this really number one? It's not really why I started in music, but it's where I was being pushed in music. Um, so taking that moment and saying, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying I can't, I can't be a, a singer, but really saying, God, where are you? Where are you taking me? Like, what does this look like for me? And what I quickly found is while I was trying to make a living as a singer, while trying to move my career forward, you know, I was doing things like opera Philadelphia. I was doing things like singing in church choirs. I was doing things like singing as the paid uh, quartet um, in choral arts society. Or, and what I, what I came to find is that my, my reputation grew and grew as being one of the top choral singers in Philadelphia. I was one of the people that if you had a group or you had someone who needed to fill in or you had a last minute whatever, Karen's the one that you might want to call. And so that became my reputation, and that became something that I grew to love. Um, so I feel like God just sort of closed doors and flew wide other doors that I didn't think were a possibility but was the way I ended up going in my career as a classical singer. That's, that's a very good reputation to have. Absolutely. It, it was. I didn't know it. I was told that later on. Someone said to me, you know, like you were the premier person you know, when you started out, for I wouldn't say that now because I'm not there much, but 
in those 10 or 20 years that I was singing almost full-time in Philadelphia. To hear that was really affirming, yeah. How do you go to singing for full-time? How do you go for singing for full-time? Um, lots of different ways. You either piece together a living where um, you're singing with lots of different professional choral groups. You have a church job as a singer, and I did that for many years until I got married. Um, where you're singing uh, Sundays and Thursdays, you know, as a as a part of their their choir or their professional choir, or you're bolstering their choir as a ringer, um, or you try to go the route like I tried in the beginning, which was doing opera and oratorio and singing on a regular basis with various um, opera companies, whether regional or whether large or whatever, um, and piecing together those opportunities. But for a singer, there's not really, unless you're part of like the Met Chorus or the Santa Fe Opera Chorus, which are full-time gigs, there aren't a lot of ways to make, to have one job and be a full-time singer, you know? So it's a lot of spreading yourself out and getting yeah. a lot of rejection, I'm sure. You can, yeah. Or Yeah. Yes, learning to live with rejection. <laughs> But also finding the joy in the, very, in the variety of opportunities that you get to do. So, yeah, big joy of mine was singing with Opera Philadelphia. And for the longest time when I started, the conductor that I sing with now, Donald Nally, was the chorus master. And that was amazing. Um, the, the level of musicianship, but also the, the fun of being on the stage, you know, which I love. I love doing opera in that respect. So, um, yeah. Lots of really fun experiences. What do you think would be your most enjoyable piece or enjoyable uh, song that you've done or show? Um, wow. You mean in opera or you mean in general? In general. Oh, gosh. You can narrow it down to opera. Far too many experiences. Um, but when we were part of the Spoleto Festival Chorus, you know, you go over, this was in Italy and it was in the summers, and I did that for. Um, for three summers until I started having children. Um, then it was less consecutive. But <laughs> I'll, when you do opera in Europe, it's, um, it's always interesting because the, the directors have more liberty to do a, a larger range of, or ask the singers to do a larger range of things. Um, so, uh, That was always super fun. Um, I, I remember we, we did uh, Wozzeck over in uh, Spoleto and remember spending probably three weeks, the, the ensemble, which was I think 24 of us, spent three weeks in working with a slow motion coach because there was one scene in Wozzeck which was a, a dream scene and then the director wanted to have it all in slow motion. So really fun exercises in how we as an ensemble breathe and work together to work in slow motion. Is that singing in slow motion? Or no, is, okay, just moving, moving in slow, slow motion, motion while singing is happening. So, Do you remember any of the, the most fun Parts techniques? Uh, yeah. Um, the whole scene was a big dance. Yeah, a dance. Dance, a dance scene. Oh, that sounds... So it was really, it was really fun. That so sounds really cool to see. That was very memorable. Um, I, Coralie, one of the most recent memorable things we did was, um, I think it was part of ba uh, uh, Bang on a Can, Bang on a Can, I think that's the name of the festival in Philadelphia. We did a, a show called Knee Plays, where each member of the, of the crossing played their instrument as the band. Hmm. So um, that was super fun um, to see these really high-level singers also be high-level uh, trumpet players or um, saxophone players or cellists. Or, so that was super cool, too. Do you also play an instrument as well? I do. I'm a keys uh, piano player. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. And that's how I lead worship at the church where I'm at now. Speaking of The Crossing, how did you get into that? The Crossing... Um, 
I started with Donald at the Opera Company of Philadelphia in 94, and the Spoletum Music Festival Chorus came from that. And then while we were in Philadelphia area, he wanted to continue singing together as a group. So he started this group called the Bridge Ensemble. Um, the Bridge Ensemble did all early music and contemporary music. And we only performed a few times um, a year in the beginning. And literally, it was a bunch of friends who loved to sing together. Um, we didn't really make any money. We sort of split the proceeds of any ticket sales. That's how we started. And that was probably part of our downfall after about four or five years. I think financially, we just couldn't continue. Um, Donald took a position over in um, Wales as the Welsh National Opera Chorus Master. And when he was back, going back and forth to Philly, he met with a, just a group, a small group of friends, and they were like, we need to be singing together again. So that's where the crossing sort of began, 2005. And just I was invited to come back and sing um, as part of that group, and and probably one of maybe two or three people who are still singing as the original group um, with the Crossing since then. So the Crossing, different different um, different mission. No, we don't do early music. We only do new music. Um, the mission is to speak into what is happening in the current day, to um, use a variety of composers, uh, living composers, and commissioning works and recording these works so that we can increase the amount of uh, choral repertoire that is being done to represent our day and age, not just doing pieces that have been written and sung and, and, and recorded and... For so over 500 that's, or so years. That's kind of the mission, and that's what I love because everything we do is very different from what we've just done. So, what's it like to work with a living composer? Um, exciting and frustrating all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, really exciting. Most of the time, um, just a few times where you've spent um, a month at home learning working on, on your own, and then you come together as an ensemble. You work for a week, and then a composer is brought into the process. Because usually the process together as an ensemble is about a two-week process in rehearsal. The first week, Donald doesn't usually love the composer being in the room because it's frustrating for a composer to be in there during the learning and putting together process because they want it to sound the way they, they hear it in their head. So we need to get it into our voices. We need to get it into our ears before the composer is actually brought into the, into the process. Um, and then to be at that point uh, and have a composer have a new revelation. Let's change this, you know, or that doesn't really work. How about we do this? And we've done that many, many times um, where pieces have been, movements have been scrapped or rewritten like with three days until we actually start recording or three days until we actually perform it. And so that part's frustrating, but for the most part, it's really wonderful um, to be in sort of collaboration uh, with, with a composer and for them to see like, I love the way that sounds. Maybe, maybe I should have rewritten it this way and to see the light bulbs going off in their head. But for the most part, it's, it's really wonderful. So how do you guys get these, do uh, you say commission that you guys get them in or? Yeah. Um, Donald usually is either conf um, confronted by somebody who wants to do a particular project. Would you do this with us? Um, and we either co-commission or it's an ensemble that wants to do something by a particular person. Or Donald will have a project like for this year, our theme is farming. So farming, uh, how odd is that? Um, and finding uh, poetry or finding lyrics that he loves. And then, you know, he's always listening. People are always sending him stuff. Our, our big goal right now is to find greater diversity in the types of composers that we use, um, both in the type of composer, uh, whether they be a minority composer or a female composer or a composer of a style that maybe we're not so used to doing. Um, 
listening, doing a lot of listening, doing a lot of having listening through things that are sent to him, and um, then approaching people with a text and saying, would you be willing to set this for us? So I think that's the process that he goes through. Um, I know he's sent a lot of project opportunity. Um, the, the problem always is where does the funding come from? So that's, oh, that's a big part of being yeah. a, a choir that does commissions. It's expensive. You know, it's easy to, to take a dead composer and to do their music. Right. Um, it's not so easy to spend ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to commission a composer to write for us. So, it's a it's a commitment. But it's doing wonderful work, I'm sure, for the classical world, bringing we, neoclassical yes to the spotlight. That's our hope that we're really expanding the the choral repertoire for. And how have you guys been rewarded in in uh, doing that? Uh, we've been rewarded lots of lots of awards. Um, I couldn't even name them all, but lots of, lots of awards, and a lot of them monetary awards, which has really enabled us to do large projects like the one we're doing in June, which is the farming one with Ted Hearn on a farm. You know, We're performing on a farm with a director and a, um, a designer, and it's all staged, and it's all um, fully mic'd, and yeah, so those types of projects. When did you realize that you were in the running for a Grammy? Uh, when we received a nomination. I, I think, um, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure how that works. If we have to submit, uh, do you know how that works? I, I wish I did. Yeah, not my job. But right, I, yeah. <laughs> but I think we have to submit our, I think we have to submit particular albums and we just um, today are um, releasing our 27th album. Um, today? Today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Sela um, by uh, John Luther Adams is being released today. Anyway. How do you spell that? Yeah. How do you spell that? Sela, uh, S-I-L-A-H. I'll have to check that one out. S-I-L-A-H. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think they're submitted, and then we found out that we were nominated by the Grammy people. And we're like, okay, that's super cool, super cool. Never thought we would we would win a Grammy ever. Right. Um, so that was really exciting. And actually, a group of us were on tour together, and uh, we were driving from a concert, and someone had on their phone like live the the Grammy nomination, um, that the the Grammy Awards, mm. which for classical people is never at night. You know, it's always like the afternoon, five o'clock, something like that. And I remember them calling our names, and just like. The whole, you know, the whole group, um, just, yeah, it's pretty great. That's awesome. And obviously you get the Holder Grammy Award. We did. Uh, we don't get our own little right Grammys. Um, but, yeah, we, it always comes out at our receptions, and, um, yeah, Donald holds on to those. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So, cool. so what do you think is the future for you, The Crossing, uh, as a vocal performer, as a mm. group, or...? For me, personally, um, I would say I will do the crossing as long as I can do it and not hold them back because mm. people have come, people have gone um, because the amount and level of virtuosic singing is huge. And I think as we get older, um, I think the ability to sing virtuosically in that way and to get, be able to give whatever a piece needs like that is probably going to diminish. So um, I will sing with a crossing as long as I can. Um, and I've had this conversation with Donald. I've said Because Donald and I are, are very good friends now. I said, look, the minute that I become the person that holds the section back, is the minute you need to say, Karen, maybe you need to revisit this. So um, we have that understanding. But as a, so, you know, as a singer, as a worship leader, I hope to be able to do that as long as I can. But of course, my, my goal is always to raise up worship leaders under me, um, to equip wor worship leaders, which is one of the reasons why I started doing those vocal workshops. Let's talk um, about that a little bit more. I love that part of what I do. Um, 
this worship leaders collective um, is a group of worship leaders from the Berks and Lancaster County area. And we get together and we talk about things that like we're struggling with or things that um, we need help with. And what we found is like one guy is like an awesome guitar player, you know, awesome guitar player. I'm not a guitar player, but I have guitar players in my, on my team. How can I continue to encourage them to grow? How can I give them tools that they can use? So I brought him in to do a workshop with my guitar players. Um, on, the, on the other side of that, I'm really the only one in that group who's been classically trained as a singer. They all sing. They have to sing to lead worship. But they struggle with knowing how to deal with the, is- the vocal issues on their team. So they started bringing me in to come in and lead workshops for their teams. And that kind of has grown so that if somebody is talking with somebody else and they're talking about vocal stuff, they'll say, hey, you need to call my friend Karen. And I've become one of the resources for AdLib Music, which is a a local organization that provides resources, names of sound people, names of guitar people, names of drummers, names of lighting people for worship communities that you can contact them and say, hey, we need a new sound system. You have people that you would recommend for us. So I became one of their resources as the the vocal people. So that's really fun. Go in, spend an hour, hour and a half just talking about the voice, talking about how do we keep our voice healthy? What What do we do as worship leaders in order to sing better as a team, which is where all my choral experience really helps. How do we listen to one another? How do we tune with one another? How do we match vowels with one another? Um, so that as we sing together in parts, it, it comes out more beautiful. Um, so I spend about an hour, hour and a half teaching about the voice, teaching about singing together. And then I spend another hour and a half uh, master classing. Mm. So, I ask them to have part of their team or their worship team there so that the singers can actually go up and lead a song. And then we, as the community of singers that have just been taught, talk about what did we hear? What are the things we can encourage them with? And that's, that's always where I start. The people who are coming and attending the master class provide positive feedback. What are you hearing? Based on what we just learned, what are you hearing that they're doing? And what are they doing really well? And then having an opportunity to speak in to what they could be improving. You know, I love how you did this. What would it sound like if you did this instead? Because the music is calling for that, you know. Um, Finding different color. Like, that's not something we talk about as worship leaders. No, it's not. Like, but what does the song demand of us for color? What does the song demand of us for um, style? Mm. Like, do we want to sing um, a contemporary piece like it's a hymn? Like, or how can we make it more contemporary? And I, that may sound silly to many people, but to some people who are asked to lead in front of a group, it's not because they've been trained there, but it's because there was a need for them to fill. And so these people come with the limited gifting or skill set that they have or experience that they have. And what can I do to encourage them to sing in a way that suits the style in which they're leading? And even the setting as well. Exactly right. Because they may be in a traditional church. Exactly. That's going to sound very different. It's the difference between having a contemporary worship band sing a hymn that's been contemporized versus a choir group singing uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God in the Absolutely appropriate right. setting. And therefore, isn't God really cool the way <laughs> he's put me in a group that has taught me, trained me how to be so diverse in my singing, dependent on what it, the piece needs, therefore applying that now into our worship setting, you know? It's so crazy because I've... I've uh... I was with the choir group here in Lancaster, uh, Bible College, and it was so interesting to me as a a composer who has no little to no, well, I shouldn't say little to no experience, but I haven't been, my eyes weren't open to the complete possibilities of the human voice and what happens when they work together. Mm. Uh, There was placing happening, and I was like, whoa, what's going on? And, And he was like, stand here and listen to this, and I was like, 
there's a frequency wrong here. And then he switched the two people, and it was fine. Interesting. Like, because if you have one person who's singing next to you who has a different color of voice than you, Mm -hmm. there are minor frequencies that jam and collide with each other, as opposed to if they were just a little bit further apart where it's more smoother. Interesting. Because I've never heard that. Really? Because more often, we are asked to change our color. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Maybe maybe that's the college professor way of trying to deal with that. I don't know. I don't know. So... Especially in the crossing, we talk a lot about color and matching color, matching vowel, matching. So where is it placed in the voice? Like this phrase, Donald will actually say, as you crescendo, bring the sound more forward or it needs to be more round or it needs to be um, whatever. So actually, we actually change our color to match each other where what I feel like he was talking about, which is probably a, a very healthy thing to do for a college choir is say, let's see how your color matches with your color. Mm-hmm. That's not working. Let's find a better a better placing for that. I get that. That's exactly what yeah. it was. Yeah. It's so crazy to me, all the, the terminology that uh, people will use, because to people who aren't in this field, it sounds like nonsense. What do you mean by bringing voice forward? Or, yeah. What is, how do you do that? Right? But it's yeah. a difference of talking way back here in your throat, or as opposed to talking way out in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, which can deal with projection and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And brightness. Brightness, mm-hmm. nasaliness, mm-hmm. Where, you, where you get up mm-hmm. all in your nose and your forehead. Mm-hmm. And it shocks me how different you can make your voice when you're conscious about it. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give an example of uh, rounding? Because I, I, even I'm not, not sure what that means. To make a sound more round. More round. Um, so that would probably entail more lift in the back of your throat. So we've got the hard palate in the middle of our throat, and then you've got this soft palate. Mm-hmm. That would be a raising of that soft. So instead of, ah, ah, can you hear the difference? Ah, that's a more flat, uh, soft palate. Ah, it's a very round, lifted. Oh, that's so palate. interesting. <laughs> Again, <It's>, training. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's. Where do I even begin? Um, having to control over your muscles like that, because uh, people don't even people. You would ask somebody on the street, "What's your soft palate?" They'd be like, "What?" Mm-hmm. And that's something I, I talk about in those vocal workshops, because where's your diaphragm? Like, Where we, we yeah. talk about that? Sing with your diaphragm. Well, like. Everyone's heard that, but what does that mean? What, where is your diaphragm to begin with? And how do I employ that in the most efficient way as I sing? Especially as you're singing on a platform on a Sunday morning, when that's the last thing you want to be thinking about, you know? Exactly. Am I singing properly? Am I standing straight? It's like building muscle memory into your body so that those things happen naturally as you're leading people in God's presence, you know. And it's so important, especially when you have to deal with, you know, your posture. If you're a guitar, if you're a guitar worship leader, you have to deal with the chord changes, your posture, your hands, and everything yeah. else. And if if one of those things isn't in line, that you can tell, and it's something you gotta really work on, um, because it's it's necessary, it's required. If you don't know where your diaphragm is, if you don't have that breath support that you yeah. need, if you don't know how to breathe properly, because breathing is important. Who knew? <laughs> but you need air to sing you need air to sing and sometimes if you don't know how to breathe you don't get a lot of air for those who don't know about your diaphragm it's you feel it in your stomach it, area it's, it's a muscle right at the bottom of your rib cage it's a flat muscle and as you breathe in that mu- that muscle expands to almost like a donut shape yeah yeah it's the difference between when you breathe your stomach going out versus uh your chest your shoulders going up that's that's the one way that I always remember doing it, and because <laughs> I I remember very distinctly uh, that we, we were taught that in high school. But I always found it really funny because uh, somebody would always come up, "You want to learn this breathing trick, or you see how how much air can you inflate in a balloon?" And they, you know everyone would get like a small amount of air, but then they would breathe from the diaphragm and you know blow up the whole balloon in one go. And uh, I would always know that trick. <laughs> <laughs> You know, show show up, everybody, um, because I'm a jerk, I guess. 
But uh, it's important to even speaking of dialogue. Uh, I teach children how to swim for uh, my day job. And in a pool where it's loud, there's children everywhere. Yes. You're going to have to, if you use your chest voice the entire time, you are going to lose your ch- your voice. Mm-hmm. Versus as if you use your diaphragm, you can, it is healthier, it is mm-hmm. longer lasting, and it is clearer and louder as yeah. well. You think of a baby, how long can a baby like cry, cry. and not lose their voice? Right. Because they're... We naturally breathe a certain way. That's the way God made us. It's just getting back in touch with how our body was made. Whenever you see a baby take that deep, deep breath, you know it's going to be a loud as <laughs> And long. Loud and long. Loud and long. And they can do it for hours. And, and when you, that's something I've always realized about kids. It's like, oh my gosh. They're so good at using their voice without even being told to. Without even knowing. Without even knowing. And it's, it just reminds me of, of all the days when uh, the teachers say, use your quiet voice, use your inside voice. Because we were using our diaphragms mm-hmm. and, and being loud mm-hmm. instead. So what are some of your, uh, do you have any bigger goals with the Worship Collective? Do you want to grow that? Do you want to make a foundation mm-hmm. off of that? or I I would love, and the thing I love about this group too, is there are various like ministry events where we come together and form a worship team. Mm. And we actually lead worship. Like we just were at um, Hope Rescue Mission. There was sort of a a combined Berks County worship event and prayer event that was supposed to happen outside. Um, Beauty to Ashes is a, is a, a street ministry in Berks County uh, to women. They came alongside of Hope Rescue Mission and Teen Challenge, and they were putting together this large outdoor event. Ended up inside because it rained. Um, but we were, the, we were the worship team for that. Those types of things, using our giftings together to create larger worship events. So. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Hope Rescue Mission, isn't that the organization that helps incarcerated women uh, get back into daily life? or? It's it's a men's. Um, the men's. It's men's. It's just going to start. They're, they're building a whole wing and stuff for women. And I'm not sure if it's incarcerated. To be honest, I don't know if it's incarcerated or just homeless. Um, oh, God. it might be just homeless. I think it is homeless. It's it's a great organization. They do such an amazing job, and we've been there like three times. And those men know how to worship. They do. They're exciting. They're exciting to be, but. Anyway, so those opportunities I hope would grow. My teaching opportunities I hope would grow because I feel like as, as I get older, I feel more called to instruct, to teach, mm. to lead, to disciple, to encourage, to equip, you know? Speaking about faith, how has your faith been? Uh, clearly it's been instrumental in your entire life. Yeah. How does one go about asking God, uh, praying about what is right for me, uh, how do I? How do you know when uh, some some of this stuff is answered, or if at all? <laughs> um, I guess for me, it's it's always been God flinging wide open doors and shutting for me. You know, um, I feel like my job is to press forward with an open hand, so. This, the thing with the operas, opera companies, and um, the classical auditions I took, you know, moving forward with an open hand and not seeing those opportunities um, open up for me and seeing doors close, but other doors opening and walking through them and seeing the fruit from that. I, I feel like that's how God has directed me most of my life. I mean, also instilling in me very deep values mm. like um for me my family was always number one so as soon as i was married and had children everything else my career my my singing my whatever was put to the back and my children were not were number one it didn't mean i stopped everything but it meant that i looked at every opportunity through the lens of was this worth my time away from my family 
Was this going to add value to my time with my family? Was this going to allow me to show the gospel through being a part of this as a result of not being with my family? So for me, that was a very deep-seated value that God put deep in my heart, and then that was the lens with which I saw every opportunity. Well, those are great questions to ask yourself. Yeah. Those are incredible. I'm going to have to keep some of those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, that's how I guided my career. So So that, that answers another question I was going to ask, actually. Okay. Um, so... What is, as a Christian, what is worship to you? How would you define it? That's good. Uh, worship. Um, you hear it all the time, but um, worship is, is, is life. It's lifestyle. You know, it's living a... It's living a... I'm not saying I do it perfectly, but it's living a life that shows that I love God in every aspect and love people well. So for me, um, leading worship on a Sunday morning is a gathering of us coming together, doing what we've been doing all week together, you know. And I get to do that through music. But um, I, one thing I always try to stress with my singers in my workshop is that our ministry is not music. Mm. Our ministry is not music. Our ministry is people, and I think the same way when I minister in the classical realm. Always my ministry is people. Um, so on a Sunday morning, my job is, number one, to connect with people. Number two, to connect people to God. And number three, to allow the Holy Spirit the space to make connection with us. And then what I do with the crossing is exactly the same. Um, to connect to people through the music that we do. And that's the thing that I love so much about The Crossing is because we speak, we ask lots of questions. Like Donald has very strong liberal opinions about things going on in the world. And he knows and loves me to be a Christian and have very differing opinions. But when we come together as a group with all of our differing opinions, what we are doing is saying, this is happening in the world. Let's ask some questions about that so that you, as the audience, are given the space to question that. You come up with your own thoughts, thoughts yeah. and your own um, process. Exactly. <laughs> and what you believe. But our job as the crossing is to pose the question and then always, we always, if we um, have our own concepts, if we're not being presented, we always have a, a time afterward where we gather around food, a reception. And the purpose of that is to have those dialogues one-on-one -on -one with people. So even in my classical world, I feel like my job is still always connecting with people. Um, well, that that's good. It, if anything, uh, if you learn anything from the Bible, it's it's people, people, people. Absolutely, uh, love the Lord our God with all our heart and love each other love as each we other. love as we would want to be loved. That's our greatest command. Exactly, community is is the starting ground yeah. for a a large amount of Christian uh, theology, doctrine, etc. Yep. Community, community, community is the most important way to. Not only in outside of Christianity, if you want to bring together people, it's you got to be community or, orientated. Yeah. You got to meet people where they're at, yeah. and you got to bring them along, and you got to work with everybody's flaws, everybody's different opinions, everybody's everybody what else, what else, whatever, and to bring together uh, to make a more more perfect uh, mm -hmm. society or, or union. I hate that. I don't mean to uh, quote the Constitution, but. Yeah. I think that the goal is always, and I know we say this a lot in church, the goal is unity. Yes. Unity does not mean we all think the same. Absolutely. So the goal is unity. And that's, in, in both those realms of my life, I feel like that always is done through music as we present those to people and make those connections to people. We build unity.
That's a good. That's a great point. Unity does not mean same track, same page. And, and unity means being able to work together. Exactly. With that's, a common goal. With a common goal. Yes. That's right. Yes. Nothing more. Nothing less. You're, you're, there is diversity in unity. Absolutely. Diversity of thought. Be. Diversity of. Of anything. Experience. Yes. And, and there should be. And there should that's be. that's the body of Christ, right? Exactly. And that's the beauty of that's it. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Is that there's diversity yeah. and that there's different experiences. There's different people. There's different lives. It's not all a carbon copy of each other. Right. We are our own people working for the kingdom of God that is coming, already here, etc. Will come, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. So with that said... What is one of the, what is your job? Well, I guess it's already been answered. Um, I guess I was going to ask, what is your job as a worship leader? But that is to bring people to God. Yeah. Uh, what is the number one problem that you've noticed amongst uh, the worship leaders around here outside of vocal training or instrumental training? Yep. Problem. I mean, what are p- worship leaders struggling with? Or what, what do I, yeah, give me more information. Here, here's a, I'll rephrase the question. Okay. What, what are some of the biggest mistakes that worship leaders are uh, making uh, today, and how can we curb that? Okay. Um, hmm. I'm going to generalize because I don't necessarily let me generalize and say the problems that worship leaders could make. Mm. Um, because m- I think among my friends, I don't see a lot of that. Um, I think a lot of a lot of time people are put in front of a congregation um, to lead them in worship before a certain amount of trust has been built. Um, within that congregation. Um, So that means making personal connections with people before and after you step on or off a platform. That means not just being accessible when you're in a particular role. That means meeting with people. That means praying with people. That means um, building greater connection by volunteering with people at, at church. I find that we as worship leaders are asked not only just to lead musically, but we're being asked to lead spiritually. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain, just like a pastor, there's a certain amount of trust that needs to be built before people are going to get on board, you know? Um, because next to a pastor, a worship leader has the most influence in the body of the, the church on a Sunday morning. Because we're preaching, you know? Yeah. We're preaching, um, whether it's in what we say in between a song, whether it's in how we guide people in the middle of a song. So I think a big mistake I see is that a worship team is seen more as the people up there and we are the people down here. And I think there needs to be a trust built within the, that community um, it's a much more of a performer audience relationship yeah. rather as a friend that is helping us lead. Yeah, and I hate to even use that word because I really believe their heart is not as a performer. Right. Of course. But there is this sort of boundary that is put up uh, between the congregation and what I like to call the platform. I will never call it a stage. It's a platform. Right. Um, and that's just to try and keep away from that mentality that we are on a stage, that we are performing, that we are acting, when really what a platform is, if you have a particular platform, you're speaking on behalf of something, right? Mm -hmm. A platform. Um, And that's what we are. We're up there speaking on behalf of the kingdom. We're up there speaking on behalf of Christ. So we as worship leaders are on a platform, but how do we break down the barrier between the platform and and the congregation? That's a really interesting way, because uh, I never thought about it, but you're right. Um, the worship leaders are exactly, the, most often, they're the first people you see when you come into the church, right? Yeah. 
And they're, they are the people preparing your heart for the message. Exactly right. So in more ways than one, they are, uh, at that time, they're probably one of the most important people of the, of the leader team outside of the pastor because they are the people, they are the front men, quote unquote. They are. Uh, quite literally of the church and yep. of the service. And, and they're not just like welcoming people. Like you'll have right. people up there welcoming, people who are praying, um, but these are actually people who are giving direction. They're mm-hmm. giving instruction. They're giving, um, and, and that's, that's a very weighty position, you know? So, yeah, I think there needs to be a built trust between congregation and that person similar to a pastor in order for there to be effective ministry within that church. Absolutely. And it's always helpful for, for a worship leader to be communicating with their congregation because where are you going to get your volunteers to... For worship from. Yeah, yeah. And and honestly, I think, and you've got a lot of young worship leaders. Like you said, we were talking earlier, there are a lot of people who graduated from here, from Lancaster Bible College, and are now filling positions in churches around this community. It's really important that even our younger worship leaders who maybe have had less years of experience walking with the Lord to be super honest and super transparent. Um, transparent. Um, that has much more weight than it would just trying to act like they've got more of their act together. You know what I mean? Right. It, and it's another uh, kind of somewhat problem in the church is that we're afraid to be vulnerable with each other. It's, it's risky. It's, yeah. It's super risky. Super risky. Yeah. There have been times where God has asked me to do something or other, and I have just not wanted to do that because it's so risky. It's so risky. But in being obedient, the rewards are so huge and, of course, can only be attributed to him because I wouldn't want to take those risks. That's what I say. Yeah, if God gives you a risk, it's there's there's a reason for it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pray over it, be tactful in, in, this, in the, your obedience. Uh, but... What reward without risk? Exactly. But that vulnerability, also risky. Yeah. You know, you're putting yourself out there. Um, but I've never known anybody who's been vulnerable, who has not ministered to people in the midst of that. You, you forget that. You, you do. Know? But yeah. I can't tell how many people, um, my, my mother passed away when I was uh, 12. Of, oh. of a heart attack, four years old, and completely out of the blue. Wow. And um, how do I go up to someone and explain that? Or how do, and my, my life kind of fell apart. We lost our house in an 08 crash and all this other nonsense uh, stuff that, it, like, telling somebody, hey, uh, we were almost homeless if it weren't for my grandmother, stuff like that. Um, but people really want to hear that. They, people sometimes really need to hear that. There are so you hear of all the testimonies of the people who have been through drug abuse and all that and all that stuff, and uh, it, it that's a high risk to be able to say, yeah, I did blank, yeah, and here I am now, not doing blank, and this is how I got through it. That is, it takes a large amount of courage to say, yes, I was a sinner, yeah. <laughs> and yes, I did these bad things. But here's what I did about it. Yeah, here's what God did about here's, it. Yeah, well, you're right, right. Here's how, here's how God pushed me and yeah. led me out of this. Yeah. This, and here, and I'm here for you now. Yeah. Because, like you said, community, unity, is about taking our experiences and sharing them and imparting them. Because God can use anybody to do anything. Yeah. It's the Bible is you know it's it's literally rife with it. Um, it's kind of the whole point. <laughs> oh my. Uh, don't be afraid to let God use you in your past traumas and your past uh, wrongs and your past, or even your past rights. Yeah. And use that to speak into somebody else who is dealing with the same problems unbeknownst to you. Exactly. That's exactly right. So I'm curious, has... You mentioned a, a lot about uh, diversity in women composers and, and stuff like that. Have, have you ever received any problematic feedback because you were a woman at all? 
Um, as a worship leader, or as, as a worship leader, as a choir direct choir uh, singer? director, a choir singer. Um, no, no, no. Um, the church I'm in now, um, I think it's. I think when I first came, um, I replaced a gentleman who had been the worship leader since the start of the church, which was 20 years. Um, I think there were a few people who were not liking the idea of a woman on the on the platform leading in in worship. Um, never said anything to me, mm. but there were things that were said to church leadership. Um, but I'm so grateful that I have a, a pastor who just loves the Lord and supports me as a person and values what I bring to the table so incredibly much. Um, it's like my biggest supporter and fan. So I'm very grateful to have that relationship with my lead pastor. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll moving on. <laughs> what is... One of the most, oh, what is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Oh, gosh. Say no. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Performers forget that all the Say time. No. Um, yeah, when I was going through grad school, and. Um, Just say no. Yeah, I, I was the person who. You know, at, to go through grad school and not have to pay anything, I was a TA. And so I was um, a TA for the music theory department and constantly being asked to coach privately with people who are struggling. And I led a, um, a lab and we would, students would need extra help. And I remember my professor who was overseeing me at the time looking at my calendar and saying, I didn't even schedule like luncheon for myself. Oh my. And just looking at me and saying, Karen, you have to learn to say no because. When's your Sabbath? When's your. Yes. When, when is the time that you are refreshed and restored and renewed? And especially as a musician and as a worshiper, if you don't have those times where you can be replenished, then creatively, artistically, spiritually, you're drawing on nothing. You're drawing in your own strength, and that's not where I want to be. So no. biggest advice ever given to me is say no. Again, going back to those things that God instilled in me as valuable and learning how to wade through the good opportunities to find God's best for me. And another thing, when you talk about worship leading, you might consider that, oh, that is that is my Sabbath when I worship with others. But how are you going to minister to others if you can't minister to yourself? Exactly right. You have to take that time to, whether whether it's meditation, whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's silent prayer for for however long you need to do it for. Or taking a walk in the in the woods or take, whatever. Exactly. Spending time. Spending time by yourself with the Lord. Yeah. Um, and having that moment of, okay, it, it, you will not have the mental cl uh, clarity without having that moment with yourself, the mo moment with your, with the Lord and being able to go through your mind and actually think through some of the things that you've done throughout the week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You ha have, there are so many things that can happen within a day mm -hmm. and you have to process that and you have to go over, okay. Uh, because if you don't, you're just going to run, run, run these emotions that will keep bottling up because you're saying, I can't deal with that right now. I have to deal with this right now. Yeah. And it's going to detract from your work. It's going to detract from your happiness. It's going to detract from your, uh, stability because it's just going to keep building up, building up, building up. And then all of a sudden you're burnt out and kaput. Yeah. You're crying and you have no idea what's going on. So take that time to relax, recharge, feel the th feelings that you're feeling, and move on. Mm -hmm. Because you can overbook yourself to a dangerous point. Yeah. Especially if you're a musician trying to piece, piece together a life and a living. 
you know, you don't want to say no because you don't know where your next dollar or paycheck is going to come from. And I really believe that God is so faithful that when we are obedient, and he's, he's not asked us, he's told us to rest. Quite and if we, if we are not obedient, I can't, I don't believe that God, I, I believe that when we are obedient, that God will bless us and allow us to live without fear of where our next paycheck is, you know? There is a story in the Bible, uh, not only in the mention that, uh, you know, do the birds worry about their next, mm. you know, that, that yeah. whole passage, yeah. But um, I think it was Elijah or Elisha, I can't remember. But he was really angry with God and with everybody, with everything happening. And God told him, go have a nap, eat food. And what do you know? <laughs> Everything was better. He was hangry. <laughs> exactly, right? So it's it's just that simple. When was the last time you drank water? When was the last time you, you ate, right? Because you can get so caught up in these things. Make sure you leave time for rest. Um, I have a few more questions, and then then we'll, we'll end out the podcast here. What is one of your most – I guess we already covered that, actually. What is one of the – Funniest or worst things that ever happened to you on stage or a scene on stage as a, as a group or funniest. no ripped pants, no wardrobe malfunctions or no vo- horrible oh, voice cracks at horrible times. Always something with the opera company. There's always something going on. There was one time where this is the worst. Um, we had these. I can't even tell you why, and I can't tell you the opera, but these. Huge rockets were part of the set, and um, like pyrotechnics or no, no, it's just a big rocket. Okay, I think there were like three of them. Um, don't ask me why. Um, and one of our chorus members ran into it and like was out cold. So oh no, that that wasn't so great. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I can tell you one of the best things I remember. Go for um, it. We had just finished Kyle Smith's, this is with The Crossing, The Ark in the Sky, this amazing piece. Kyle Smith is a believer, and he writes the most God-honoring music. It's called The Ark in the Sky. If you get a chance, you need to listen to that recording. It's so creative and so great. But the last movement of this concert-length piece is, I want to say, divided... Two on a part. It's huge. It's just loud. It's at the top of the range. It's amazing. It's so hard to sing. And as soon as it stopped, there was a collective gasp in the audience. Everyone went, oh, and they rose to their feet, and they went wild clapping. And all I remember standing there with that response and having just sung that was like, tears just streaming down my face it was the most amazing moment I've ever had in music ever it, it was just amazing because it wasn't just us as a choir it was the entire room had just experienced something pretty supernatural spectacular together it was pretty great isn't that the moment that we all want as a, absolutely as, absolutely the, the, Absolutely. The moment that happened for me, because I don't think I've ever told this on, on this story in the podcast, um, I was a drum major for my high school. Oh, were you? Yes. And all of the past drum majors, they you know do the twirly thing, and they throw it up, and they're, they attempt to catch it. <laughs> Not one of them had ever caught it in like the past three or four years that they did it, but they kept still kept trying, kept right? Trying. Because, <laughs> so it was it was always it was always like uh, ten bucks as they drop it, right? Um, it was always that. And so it came to me and I went to drum major academy and all that jazz. But you know, they don't I, I noticed the problem, uh all of them would just look straight forward while they do it. And granted it's it's a showmanship, so you know, they're looking straight forward trying to catch it one hand. Right. But I was like, No, I'm just gonna catch it. <laughs> because, so look at it so you Yeah, you gotta you know, look at it and catch it and I had this whole routine planned out. Um where I, you know, went around, went around under the leg, around my back, whatever, and then the final was, and dead silent in the entire crowd uh, of the first home game, and I caught it, and everyone was, 
Everyone goes abs. Even the entire band behind, even, even they're supposed to keep their cool, goes and it goes nuts. And that and that was the moment for me that I was like, oh, this is this is this is what I want to do. I want to be a showman. That that's what that felt like. So you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what's the funniest thing? It, after that, never happened again. Oh no. I I, I still caught it, but the reaction. Yeah. You know, it was like, okay, we expect this now. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's always that first time you get it. Right. <laughs> yes. It's get that. Wow. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. Where can people find the crossing? Find your work. Find. Yeah. Resources. The, the Crossing, 27 albums. Um, all of them are available, I think, on Spotify. Um, but we also have uh, recordings and stuff on our website called crossingchoir.org. Um, yeah, that's where you find us. Be sure to check out, if you're a worship leader, the Worship Collective. Yes, and if you... Gosh, if you want, if you're a worship leader and you want to get connected in some way, um, is there a way that I can tell them to get connected with yeah. me? Yeah, sure. If you have a website or if you have uh, or a link on it. I'm trying to think how best to do that without giving out my personal information. Um, you can reach out to me from our church website, which is mm -hmm. communityec.org. Um, and if you are a worship leader in Berks or Lancaster County, or even beyond that, we can try and set something up for you. But I think it's super important that people find a group of people who are on the same journey with them to challenge them. You know, iron sharpens iron. So Absolutely. we're always challenging each other. We're providing new music that we've introduced to our church that has really been a hit with our congregation. We talk about that. We talk about struggles within our team, struggles in how we lead, maybe even struggles in our in our own personal walk with the Lord. It's a place of real honesty and support, and I'd highly recommend that we do not do life as worship leaders by ourselves. We need a support group. You so, need community for corporate worship. Exactly. So connect with me at communityec.org. You'll find me um, on our website. There's a way to get connected. And part of staff. Adlib. Adlib Music is also a really great resource if you're looking for a, a sound technician for a Sunday or you need a drummer or um, you're looking as a church to hire a new worship leader. They will they can provide a coach to walk alongside of you to help you find a new uh, worship leader for your church. That's a great resource. And with all that said, I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. You can find us anywhere. Just look up The Story, Corey Rosen. That's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Obviously, we're on Facebook. And Instagram, if you want to <clears throat> really help us and support us, like, comment, share, rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It really does help us uh, boost our ranking up so that way we can reach out to new people who have never, ever heard of us ever before. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the day. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.